University Church and visitors, good morning. Wonderful day, wonderful privilege to be here with you. To say that I'm delighted to be here would be an understatement. I want to appreciate what uh, Brother Hillier said, and he and I have loved each other for a long time. Hopefully the Lord will give us longer. So thankful to hear that Blois and Lucy are here this morning. During my presidency of the college, Blois was, as we called him then, comptroller. And I don't know how many sessions we had of uh, uh, hand-wringing and uh, fretting and all of this, but I could always count on Blois to come up with the figures needed and uh, what we had to do and what we had to have. And any time we had an event here on campus, Blois and Lucy were the ones that would uh, provide the catering for the event and always did a splendid job. And I'm grateful to those folks there. But, oh, there's so many memories here. I could spend the whole time. Uh, there's a memory in every pew. As I look at the auditorium, there's something uh, familiar about it, and yet uh, something very unfamiliar because of all of the beautifying and the expansion that you have done over these last 50 years. And I'm not only thankful to you for inviting me to be here today, I'm thankful to the Lord for allowing me to be here today. In our scripture reading this morning, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. In verse 5, the writer says, Be free from the love of money, content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave you, neither will I forsake you. Now that's a tremendous promise coming from anyone that cares for you. And when you think about it, I won't leave you, I won't ever leave you. And that's the promise that has been given. Back during uh, the Vietnam War, a group of our soldiers were out on a mission. And you know the credo for the warrior in the military has been, among other things, I will not leave a fallen comrade behind. Well, suddenly they came under the murderous fire from the Viet Cong and they all hit the ground. The sergeant indicated the direction for them to go to set up a defensive stand. And they crawled over there and one looked back and saw his buddy lying out there in no man's land. And he said, Sarge, I've got to go to him. That's my buddy. And he said, Soldier, stay put. He's probably already dead anyway. But Sarge, please, he's my buddy. And the Sarge said, all right, if you want to get yourself killed, go ahead. And he carefully crawled out, bullets whizzing over his head, and carefully, tenderly turned his buddy over and then dragged him back to the safety area. And some examined him and said, well, he's dead. Sergeant said, I told you there's no reason for you to go out there and risk your life that way. And he said, oh, yes, there was. When I got there, he wasn't dead. And I turned him over and he opened his eyes and smiled at me and said, I knew you would come. And what a commitment one makes to you. I'll never, never leave you behind. Brother May, I don't know if you knew Rural Porter or not, preacher over in Arkansas. 
Back about 50 years ago, I heard him speak on the Harding Lectures. Brother Porter had a rare disease where he had to actually drain a pint of blood every two or three weeks. And he knew that his sojourn was limited. And I don't remember what he said in his sermon, except that it was a general, upbeat, uh, faith-producing type lesson. But there's one statement that he made I have never forgotten. He said, no one has ever laid his head down on a more precious pillow than a bundle of the promises of God. And think of God's promises. Peter says he gave us precious and exceeding great promises. Now the reason promises are so wonderful is they produce hope. And the Hebrew writer says, Hebrews six nineteen, hope is an anchor for the soul, both sure and steadfast. And so these promises give us the hope. But we've got to have a promise before the hope can come. I remember when I was about 13 years old, living over in Cullman, Alabama, I had my eye on a black and white Swin bicycle. And if I could own one of those, I'd ask for no other earthly gifts the rest of my life, probably. And the thing about the Swin was, you know, most of the boys' bikes had two bars coming across equal size, connecting to the front of the frame. But the Swin were sporty. They had one big bar and then two slender bars coming across. In addition, had a uh, built-in battery-operated front headlight and a streamlined uh, reflector on the back fender. And so I said to my dad, I said, Dad, I would really love to have one of those Swin bikes. He said, you know, uh, I had at that time a little uh, Birmingham Post paper route. Post is out of business now. I said I could get around my paper route so much quicker and uh, in addition go back and forth to school on that. It'd be wonderful. And my dad said something like, yeah, I guess a lot of boys like to have that. You know, what wasn't a lot of the money back in those days and I think they cost almost $50. And that was a week's wage then. And so I waited a while, came back again, said, Dad, I really would like to have one of those bikes. Mm-hmm. Said, yeah, that's all I got. No promise, no hope. One day we were downtown in Coleman. I took him by the store there and said, there it is. Look at it. And he said, just wait till Christmas. Huh? Promises was there. I stopped bugging him Christmas morning, rushed down, and there that black beauty was right in front of the Christmas tree. But you've got to have a promise. Now, the validity of a promise depends upon two basic things. Number one, the reliability of the one who made the promise. And when we think about reliability, there are certain three things come to mind. Number one is this promiser accustomed to keeping his word and then number two do you think he really wants to do what he's promised and then number three even though he wants to do does he have the ability to do it 
Now remember, we're talking about the promises of the Almighty God. And in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18, it says, It is impossible for God to lie. He can't lie. And so certainly you can rely on his word, but would he want to do that? But that most familiar verse of the New Testament, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you think one would give his son to die for a person and then not fulfill his person? The promise to him? Now Paul says this in Romans chapter 8 verse 31. He that spared not his own son but freely gave him for us all, shall they not with him freely give us all things? So if God would give his son, God would give us anything according to his will and is for our benefit. So certainly he would want to fulfill, but how about his ability? Well, one passage should settle that in our minds, Ephesians 3.20. Paul says, unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or even think. We cannot think of anything too hard for God. So number one, we can rely on the promiser, but number two, has to deal with the faith of the one to whom the promise is made. Do we really believe that he will fulfill the promise? Now, you know there are times that even good people waver. You remember the man that came to Christ begging, please, Lord, if you can, heal my son? And rather, with some indignity, some little sound in his voice. That worst word's not coming this morning. But uh, he said, if thou canst, all things are possible with God. To him that believes. And the man said, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Over in Genesis 18, we find certain angels on their way to Sodom, stopping by the encampment of Abraham. And among other things, they said, next year, about this time, Sarah is going to bear a son. Sarah, 89 years old, had never had a child. Abraham, 99 years old. And Sarah, who was not out with the men, was listening, eavesdropping from the tent. And I understand women sometimes do it even when they're Supposed to be in the kitchen cooking to hear what the men are saying. But Sarah was so <laughs> enamored by that, she just laughed out loud. The angel said, why did you laugh? And the embarrassed Sarah said, I, I, I didn't laugh. He said, oh, yes, you did. Then asked this question, is anything too hard for the Lord? Next year about that time, little Isaac was born. I think of another case over in Numbers chapter 11. Moses delivering those people from their bondage in Egypt. And as usual, they were complaining. They were tired of the manna. They called it old light bread. We are tired of this old light bread. Interestingly, over in Psalm 71, the psalmist said in describing what God had done for Israel, said, 
He fed them food from heaven and gave them angels' food. And so what they call old white bread, the psalmist said angels' food. But anyway, they said we won't meet. Moses, as usual, took it to the Lord. The Lord said, you tell them, I'm going to give them meat. Not for one day or two, not for five or ten or twenty. I'm going to give them meat for a month. And not just a little bit, it'll run out their nose. It gets so sick of it, they'll vomit it up. And I think I saw Moses' eyes sort of wide open there. And he said, Lord, here they were, million and a half, two million people out in the middle of a barren or wilderness type area and said, will herds and flocks be slain? Will all the fish of the sea be brought in? God said, Moses, do you think the Lord's hand is shortened? You think I've overreached and promised what I cannot fulfill? You just watch. God caused the wind to come in that night, blew quail in by the millions. And when they got up the next morning here were quail flying around about three feet above the ground, not only in the camp, but for a day's journey outside the camp. And they got up and began walloping the quail. All day long, all night long, all the next day. And the fellow that got the least amount got 86 bushel of quail. And so certainly the Lord can do what he promised we call Abraham the father of the faithful. Paul said in Romans 4, 20 and 21, that he staggered not in unbelief, but gave glory to God, believing that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And then it said of Moses in Hebrews 11, verse 27, that he left Egypt not fearing the wrath of the king because... He was able to see him who is invisible. And so when we have a promise made by one who always fulfills his promise, and then we have full faith in the promiser, then wonderful things happen. God has made hundreds of promises, but there are three that have been stalwarts through all the days of my life that have been sort of anchors for the soul. I'd like to briefly share those three with you and commend them to you for your acceptance and keeping in mind. Number one found in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. Paul says, There has no temptation befallen you, but such is common to men. God is faithful and will not with the temptation Cause you to be tempted above that which you're able to bear, but will, with the temptation, provide a way of escape. Now, that's a promise. Now, we think of temptation often as something of the sexual line, that temptation can be a temptation to give up, temptation to despair, temptation to quitting, temptation to saying, there's no way out of this. But when you reach one of those points in life, Say, Lord, you've promised. I don't know how you're going to do it. And God is under no obligation to tell us how he's going to operate. But I believe you'll do it. 
And I'm going to hold on and waiting for that help that comes from you. Now remember, God respects our individual power to choose. When we were made in the image of God, we were given the power to choose. And Adam and Eve, you know, made very poor choices. And since then, the world has been making poor choices. But he says that we'll, with the temptation, provide a way of escape. Now, some of us older ones remember Flip Wilson, the comedian. And that famous line of his, the devil made me do it. Well, the devil doesn't make us do anything. In fact, James says the devil's a coward. James 4, 7, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. No, the devil doesn't make us do it. It's our choice, and it's up to us to decide, I will not follow that. But I feel so weak. And that's why when you became a Christian, you not only received the remission of your sins, but you received as a gift the indwelling Spirit of God. And among other things that the Spirit does, Paul prayed to the Ephesians that they would be strengthened in the inner man through the spirit that God gave them. And so somehow the spirit can give us the power within. And so that James says, or John says, 1 John 4, verse 4, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. When it comes to the spirit operating within us with our will and our desire and the devil out here, we'll win every time. So promise number one. Number two, Romans chapter 6, verse 28, often quoted verse. For we know that to them that love the Lord and are called according to his calling, all things work together for good. Two things. To them that love the Lord and are called according to his calling. Obviously, the promise to Christians. If we love the Lord, we'll keep his commandments thus become Christians, followers of Christ, dedicating our lives to him. Now, he's promised that he'll make everything work together for good. Now, this is not a promise that only good will happen to us. If I may relate another experience. When I was a student here back at the old Montgomery Bible College, either in the, well, I believe it was in the 10th grade, could have been in the 11th, but I wanted to join the journalism club. Back in those days, they had a little initiation ceremony designed to embarrass you and everybody else get a good laugh at your uh, benefit. Later then, you could laugh at others that were being initiated. But I remember that night I was initiated. Someone, they blindfolded me and someone said, uh, bad like a goat. I said, bad. Oh, no. Big bad. I gave wide open bat, and when I did, someone threw a pinch of bacon soda in my throat. Oh, I coughed and wheezed, and as uh, soon as I could, washed my throat out with some water. But that was not a good experience. But let me tell you, you ladies can take that bacon soda, some flour, some shortening, condiments, milk, and made biscuits that will just melt in your mouth. Now, God says, whatever that happens to you, I can take that and make it work together for good. 
There's no way under heaven that you could convince a mother that had just lost her baby that that was a good event. But even those events God can take and work together for our benefit. It may be that it'll be years later that we can look back and see them. And I can see several in my own life. Some of them we may not know to eternity. But there's where we've got to have the faith that somehow God was going to make this work together for my good. Then the third promise going back to where we opened up in the lesson this morning. In Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is the promise that God made to Joshua, Joshua 1, verse 5. Moses had died. Joshua now had the Herculean job of carrying those Israelites into the promised land. And obviously he was nervous. Obviously he was sort of afraid. The Lord said, be courageous because I'll never fail you. I'll never forsake you. Repeated some two times in that same chapter. Well, that's the promise that God makes to us. I will never leave you. You know, we're living in a time of great loneliness. Boy, I like the song that says, where no one stands alone. And I keep emphasizing to the Madison Church, let's make this a church where no one stands alone. If one hurts, someone else in the congregation knows and shares that hurt with others so the congregation can gather around him or her and help in that time of hurt. But it is a time when we're the most connected world that has ever been. Something can happen in the heart of Africa, and within minutes, the world knows about it. But there is great loneliness. In fact, last January, Theresa May, the prime minister of, of England, added a new post to her cabinet there, and he's called the Minister of Loneliness. And she said there's so much loneliness in the world that there's something has to be done about it. A former uh, attorney general that we had, or not attorney general, but uh, surgeon general, uh, General Murphy, said that since the 80s, loneliness has doubled here in our country. Uh, young folks, I've heard this on you. I'm almost going to have to see it myself to believe it. But they tell me that sometimes young people will sit one on this side of the table, one on that, and talk with their thumbs. <laughs> Don't look at one another, just text back and forth. Can you imagine that? I'm afraid some of you can. Ask one, why do you do that? Well, I'm timid. What do you got to be timid about? Johnny in the first grade sort of strutting around. The teacher says, Johnny, you think you're something, don't you? And he said, yes, ma'am. God made me, and God don't make no junk. So you look at whoever you're talking with and speak to them because God doesn't make junk, and you're not junk. You're made in the image of God. And if you're a Christian, you're a child of God. Imagine being a child of the creator of everything. And so you have no reason to be ashamed. But you know, time is going to come if we live long enough that youth will give away to full 
maturity and then you come into the what they call the senior years and uh, the good old years <laughs> well the Lord has made mine good and I appreciate that but youth is going to fade age is going to get older and over and finally you're going to find that health will decline and you'll find friends that are dying and going on away and loneliness can be there but God said I'll still be there the psalmist in Psalm 71 said, O Lord, when I'm old and gray-headed, forsake me not until I've declared your power unto the next generation. So God will be with us when we're old, and God will be with us in the time that we come to die. Friends may forsake you. Psalms 41, David said, My own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. And then even parents sometimes were cast off. And here again, Psalms 27, David said that when my father and my mother cast me off, God will never cast me off. And so he's one that when he makes that promise to you, he'll keep it. Well, you say, wonderful and truly to have the three state you drive down in your heart, in your faith, that God has said, I won't give you more than you can bear. I'll make everything work together for your good, and I'll never fail you or forsake you. How can we know this? Well, because 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith and not by sight. And so... John said, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. So examine your faith and test your faith. Stretch your faith. You know, as a boy, I used to like to wander the woods with my buddies, and we'd like to find a muscadine vine hanging out over a gully, and we'd pull that and then finally get it where it felt solid, and then one had to be Tarzan among the apes. And said, will it hold? And we don't, yeah, 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 try it. <laughs> oh, go ahead. <laughs> but you know, finally, someone had to be the first swinger. And I know how that swing, I can still feel it as you go down. Everything's fine until you get about to that arch. And then your weight hits that. And sometimes those limbs are this way and you get out that way and they turn loose. And down you go into the gully. But when you feel that solid pull there, and then you go back, everybody wants to be second. But stretch your faith. Reach out on faith. Do what you never knew you could do. And with the Lord's help, we'll be surprised at what happens to your life. But in conclusion, there in Hebrews 11 and verse 6, after having that great promise from God, the writer says, The Lord is my helper. I shall not fear. What can man do unto me? Paul's statement in Romans 8, 31, if God be for us, who can be against us? And then down in verse 37, ye in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Wonderful day. God bless you all. And all that I've said this morning applies to the Christian.
Maybe some here that are not Christians, but if you believe with all of your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, willing to turn your back on sin, confess that faith, be buried with your Lord in baptism where you contact the blood that washes away your sins. That invitation is going to be extended to you in just a moment. But if you have some other thing that you need to share with this congregation that we can help you in any way, will you come forward now while we stand to sing?